0: Hi. Hi. I love you. you. So good to see you. So grateful to be here with you all. And um, I'm excited that we get to continue in this series, Uh, family, friends and foes and or friends, family and foes. I forgot which order it was. Um, But we've been taking a different person in David's life and kind of zooming in the lens uh, to find out Uh, What is it about this relationship or this encounter uh, that is uh, good for us to know, to glean, and to learn from? Uh, Today is no different. Uh, My assignment is uh, to talk about Jonathan and the covenant that Jonathan and David had. I gotta tell you um, that to have this as my topic, I could literally uh, just close my Bible uh, which would be a uh, horrible preacher etiquette. Uh, but I could close my Bible and teach this entire message uh, from the relationship I have with your lead pastor, Preston. Because in the relationship that I have with Preston, it is what is described between Jonathan and David. It is a bond that has been formed And Preston is a man that I not only love, but that I'm in love with. And the only reason why I can give it that type of context is because of what I've read and seen described between Jonathan and David. So I wanna read a few verses, just four. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. And uh, then I'll pray and we'll see what the Lord will say. Is that all right? All right, so 1 Samuel chapter number 18, starting from verse one, here's what it says. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. There's so much here to get into. Um, I've been able to cover Samuel, uh, Saul, and now Jonathan. Uh, this, the title of this message is kind of the same as it was with Samuel. There's no fancy title. So if you're taking notes on the message, it's just Jonathan and David. So sorry. I, I couldn't get creative with it. There was no, like, hook. I kept looking at it like, mmm. Jonathan and David, that's all y'all are getting, okay? Sorry, (laughs) spoiler alert, talking about Jonathan and David. No misdirection, no nothing, just Jonathan and David. Let's pray real quick. Holy Spirit, help us to find a friend. Amen. So um, before I get into uh, this text and talk to you about this beautiful revelation that I felt like God gave me in these four verses, Uh, I need to skeet shoot uh, a couple of misconceptions uh, that I've heard some people make about Jonathan and David's relationship. The first one that I wanna pop is uh, the notion that Jonathan uh, had ulterior motives in making this covenant pact with David. Jonathan was somehow surreptitiously and in a clandestine way attempting to position himself between his father and his best friend so that whether his father was able to execute David or vice versa, Jonathan would be accepted. It sounds good, except it um, goes against what scripture says. Scripture says that Jonathan loved David as himself. And if you know anything about the writings of those that chronicled uh, the the lives of those that we preach about and talk about in the Bible. If all of God's word is God inspired, then if there was an ulterior motive, it would have been listed. Scripture would have said it. And it doesn't say it. And if it doesn't say it, we shouldn't project anything into it that is not there. So the first thing that I need to skeet shoot is that Jonathan's motive in making this pact with David is as pure as the writer says. Period. (laughs) Moving on to the second thing that I need to skeet shoot, and that is that Jonathan and David's relationship was homosexual because they kissed. It is not because once again, the writers would have told us. Do y'all honestly think that the writers would in detail tell us that David had Uriah put to the front of a battle so that he could be killed to cover up the adulterous affair that he had with Bathsheba and then not tell us that Jonathan and David were homosexual? I think not. Do we honestly think that the Bible in detail lets us know about incest, incestual relationships in scripture, those that were involved in prostitution in scripture and then would leave out a homosexual relationship? They kissed. Let me confess to you, I've kissed your pastor on his cheek. We have a beautiful relationship. We do not have a sexual relationship. Scripture clearly prohibits that. The end. Now I can talk to you about the friendship that David and Jonathan had. Now that I've skeet-shooted both of those misconceptions that I don't know why they keep coming up, but they're there. And so I hope I've brought some peace to those that needed it. Jonathan and David have this beautiful relationship that is uh, deep and vulnerable and authentic. And it's a relationship that I believe every single one of us desperately longs for. We all want a friendship like Jonathan had with David. But I must submit to you, there's an expensive price to pay to have a friendship like that. Jonathan and David have this bond that scripture says was immediate. And Jonathan does something that is unprecedented he steps into a moment with David and risk it all to say I want to be a friend to you and you to be a friend to me and I'm going to go through an extravagant process to prove it what the Holy Spirit had me focus on is uh, the exchange that Jonathan made with David with what he had on And so I wanna go through these five pieces, the robe, the tunic, the sword, the bow, and the belt. I wanna tell you what they represent and what I believe Jonathan was communicating to David as he took those things off. But first, let's talk about what they symbolize on. The robe first. The robe identifies Jonathan. The robe that Jonathan is wearing identifies him. Don't think of a bath robe. Think of a royal robe. The robe signifies who he is. He is the king's son. He is royalty. And in wearing that robe, this is what identifies him from everybody else in this newly formed kingdom with his father Saul as the first king of Israel. The second thing that he has on is a tunic. The tunic is what covers him. It's what's under the robe. It would be like his shirt that he has on. And he has to, with this on, understand that this is what covers me. This is what keeps me protected. The third thing is the sword. The sword literally protects him. If he was to get into a fight in close quarters, that sword is his defense. It protects him. The fourth thing is his bow. And his bow is how he keeps foes at a distance. The sword is for close quarters combat. And uh, the bow represents the Old Testament gun. Amen. From Texas to guns. (laughs) From Texas with love. But he keeps his foes at a distance with the bow. That's what it represents. This is the weapon I use at a distance. And lastly, there is the belt. The belt is what held him, what supports him. Um, It could have been used to uh, keep other things attached, whether it was a canteen or a sling or any other Uh, weapon system that he had, but these are the things that he had on when he makes his pact with David. He has all this stuff on. This is what he wears every single day. Every single day that Jonathan wakes up, he puts on his clothes, he puts on his tunic, he puts on his robe, he gets his sword, he gets his bow, he gets his belt, and he goes about his day. Every single one of us has to do that. Every single one of us, every single day gets up and in some form or fashion, we armor up. In some form or fashion, we armor up to go throughout the day that we have to navigate our family, to navigate our jobs, to navigate the world around us. We put on something. Jonathan has this immediate bond with David. He wants to establish a dynamic covenant. With David. And the way he decides to do it is by taking off what he puts on in front of this man to show him how much he loves him. Now, this could feel completely awkward, intimidating. Um, Preston and I have often gone back and forth to say, "I don't know which one of us is Jonathan and which one of us is David," uh, but we know that we're, we're we're those guys. But I don't know. Maybe we're being humble. We're always de- deferring. Like, no, you be David. No, you be David. And I don't know. Whatever. I'm clear that in this relationship, based on the way Scripture reads, I'm Jonathan. Because. When I met Preston, the very first time I met Preston, I'll never forget it. It was a Tuesday night. He was a young adult pastor. He's preaching this message. I'm a nerd. So I'm on the front row. I'm looking up his nostrils. The seats were even closer uh, to to the platform than, than these are. So I'm sitting on the front row. I'm looking up his nostrils as he's teaching this message. And as these words are coming out of his mouth, I am literally like, how come no one has ever told me that this human being exists? I could not like I I never identified with anybody that was a peer the way I identified with him just teaching scripture. And I'm like, I need to know who this person is now. So after service, I immediately ran up to him. I'm like, hey, bro. I want to meet with you sooner than later. Can we make that happen? And Preston looked over at Brooke and was like, yo, put it on the calendar. And so the next day. We were at the Cheesecake Factory for four and a half hours. And when I tell you I completely got butt naked in front of this dude emotionally at the Cheesecake Factory in four and a half hours, and he will tell you it was one of the most overwhelming experiences of his life. I took off everything. I was like, robe, bow, belt, tunic, shoes, phone, just... I took off everything. Because if you're going to establish a covenant relationship, somebody has to risk going first. You are never going to have a deep, meaningful, authentic, vulnerable relationship with anybody. Always like, well, if you go, I'll go. Somebody has to risk it first. And I got to tell you, if you want a real deep relational covenant. Friendship with somebody. It's going to be risky. Because there is no guarantee it's going to be reciprocated. So when you put yourself out there, you're putting yourself out there with no ulterior motives because you don't even know if they're going to be reciprocal to you. You don't even know if the sentiment is the same. But I knew the very first time I met him, I was not going to wait. And to the fifth meeting to be like, hey, man, I want to establish a real friendship with you. So I just told him everything up front. Then made it ridiculously awkward for him, not me, because at the end of four and a half hours of laughing and crying, I looked the boy right in his eyes and said, I love you. And he was like, <laughs> <laughs> I only love Holly. I only love Holly. I only love Holly. <laughs> Cannot compute, cannot compute. He had no idea what to do with me until he did. And he reciprocated, slowly but surely, what I initiated. So I want to tell you what it symbolizes in Jonathan's connection with David to take off what Jonathan had put on. Let's start with the robe. When Jonathan takes his robe off, what he is saying to David is, I want you to know me. Not by what I'm identified as, but who I truly am. I don't want you to know me as the king's son. I don't even want you to know me as royalty. I want you to know me as Jonathan. On the days that I'm scared, on the days that I'm not feeling it, on the days that I'm angry, on the days that I'm petty, (laughs) I don't care about this robe. And so therefore, I disrobe. Because I want you to know me, not by the identity everybody else knows, but by who I truly am. The second thing he takes off is his tunic. And in taking off his tunic, what he is literally saying to David is, I want you to see me. I want to be exposed to you. I want you to truly see me for who I am. I want you to to see the imperfections. I want you to see what might be ugly. I, I-, I need you to see me. And I, I-, I-, I want to risk being vulnerable with you in a way that's dynamic, in a way that may make you or me uncomfortable. But I, I want you to know me for real, for real. This is an expensive proposition to say that you want to be known and to say that you want to be seen in a way that could put you in a bad light, yet you say, I want to step into that type of relationship anyway. Which brings me to the sword. When he takes off the sword, what he is saying is, I trust you to save me. I don't have to protect myself around you. I trust you to save me. And listen, not only do I trust you to save me from others, when necessary, I need you to save me from myself. I cannot tell you how many times in the last 15 years that God has used my twin brother, Preston Morrison. Y'all know we're twins, right? It's just fraternal. If you ever are squinting like, I can't tell, he's taller. I have more hair. That's the way we tell us apart, okay? But I cannot tell you how many times in the last 15 years God has used Prez to save me from myself. There are some people that are alive today because Preston saved me from myself. There are people that still have their dignity today. I'm just being very honest with you because I have such a safe relationship with Prez. And God has used him to save me from myself. And you know Prez has that nice little rich baritone voice, which is awesome when he's encouraging you. It's frustrating when he's correcting you. Because he always corrects with questions. And it gets on my last nerve. And after 15 years, I know when I'm being corrected when he starts, because it all starts the same way. Hey, walk me through what you were thinking when you said what you said, how you said it to that person. And I'm like, if you don't shut up. Did anybody ask you to be in my business? (laughs) Except, yes, I did when I took off my sword. And he doesn't need permission, because I've already made the exchange. Next is the bow. Jonathan takes off his bow, gives it to David, and I think what he's saying is, I need you to be near me. I want you to be near me. I don't want there to be distance between us. I want there to be proximity between us. I remember um, one of the most difficult moments in in my mind in my relationship with Prez is when God called him to this valley. I literally thought I was losing my twin, like we're not gonna have the same relationship, Uh, not because we don't love each other, but just because of the distance. Um, And he's being called to lead a church and soon after I would be leading a church. And so I'm like, man, I'm losing that proximity, therefore maybe I'm losing my friend. It couldn't have been further from the truth. I cannot tell you the lengths that God has gone through to make sure we keep this proximity. First of all, uh, he was an elder at Gateway, which means he had to come back to Dallas. Like 30 something times a year. And every time he came back, we got time, exponential time that was paid on somebody else's dime. God was literally paying somebody to let us be together. And then I get to this season of life, and he's like, can you come fight with me in the valley? And I'm like, (laughs) is this a joke? I checked into the uh, hotel yesterday, and uh, the lady there said, uh, her name is Mercedes. Mercedes said, "Um, Mr. Ross, are you here on... Uh, pleasure or business because we see you like every month is this now time to hang and I was like no it's business and she was like oh It it always cracks me up when somebody's like oh you're working I'm like yes I'm gainfully employed is there are you sad that I have a job I'm I'm stimulating the economy I'm paying taxes I think this is what we are supposed to be doing in this country she was like oh man you're at work I'm so sorry I was like, no, it's good. I was like, I actually best part about it is that I get to hang out uh, with my twin brother. And she's like, Yay! It's like, That's how I feel every day, Mercedes, like it's fine. Hey, I know we're all busy, but when you go into covenant with someone, you make time for that someone. We are all busy, but we're not too busy for the relationships that we want to nurture. It is just a date on the calendar, the same way you schedule everything else. Well, what if they live in Minnesota? I am gonna FaceTime you at 10 a.m. my time. Whatever time that is for you, block it off, and we're gonna look at each other on this phone that has given us this feature that we cannot explain, but that we love. And we're gonna keep this relationship alive. All it takes is intentionality. Prez and I have, I cannot imagine how many hours on the phone we have. I'm talking about like the type of hours that like a boyfriend and girlfriend would have. No, you hang up. 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 Oh, and another thing. Oh, and another thing. Oh, and another thing. Oh, and another thing. That's what happens when you are deeply in love with somebody. This is the type of relationship that comes when you are deeply invested in somebody. You just want to know what's going on with them. And they want to know what's going on with you. Lastly, it was the belt. And Jonathan taking off his belt. Represents to me him saying to David. I trust you to support me. That I don't have to always hold it all together myself. That I need somebody that can support me on the days that I can't hold it all together, on the days that I can't keep it all together. I need you. This is one thing we as human beings are not good at We are not good at asking people what we need. We'll take it all to the Lord in prayer, but we have a very difficult time asking a person to give us something that we need because we don't want to seem selfish. We don't want to seem self-centered. We don't want to be self-absorbed. But when you exchange like this, when you have a friendship Like this, you can ask for what you need. And guess what? You get it. Once again, I cannot tell you how many times in the last 15 years I have called Preston on the phone or met with him in person and said, hey, bro, I need three things from you in this meeting. And for me, the biggest need that I usually always have more constant than anything else is I need containment. What is containment? Containment is I need to verbally vomit and I just need you to listen. Don't try to fix nothing. I need to be petty for 10 minutes. I need to be angry for 22 minutes. My anger needs more than my pettiness. Um, I need to vent. I need to process. And here's what I don't need. I don't need a scripture. What I need right now is to be very human. And very accepted as a human. I'm still a man of God. I still love Jesus. I'm not departing from the faith. And I'm angry. I'm sick of this. People get on my nerves. I can't stand my elders. (laughs) Yo, I thought I was doing an example, and then that last one came out. I was like, bro, you really said that. You, I'm too vulnerable, y'all. I'm so sorry. This is just what you get with me. Here's what I know. None of us in this room were created to live with our clothes on all the time. None of us in this room were meant to live with armor on all the time. If you don't have a safe space to disrobe, you will ultimately pick an unsafe space to disrobe. You either take it off or it gets snatched off. But it's coming off because we were never meant to live 24-7 covered up. We all need a place to be known and seen and saved. We all need someone to be near to, and we need someone to support us. So I take off my robe today, because I don't wanna be identified at all times as pastor, podcaster, social influencer. I remember being at Embassy City Church And I told everybody at the church, you cannot call me pastor. You have to call me Tim. It was totally disruptive, especially in the south. For the members of a church not to call. Their leader, pastor, pastor, I can't. uh, I can't call. I have to call you pastor Tim. I just can't. It just. Oh, no, my mom would just smack me. It's respect. And I said, do you know how many times people have called me by my full title and disrespected me to my face? I said, my name is Tim. My verb is pastor. Pastor is what I do, Tim is who I am. I'd rather be known by my noun, not my verb. Never in the history of ever Have I been in my devotion time with the Lord? And the presence of God enters the room and God goes, hey, Pastor Tim. (laughs) Hey, I know you wanna draw near to me right now, Pastor. Sorry, I didn't wanna, just wanna respect you by calling you, Pastor? That's my dad. I'm his son. If Nathan and Noah go on to be the president of the United States, become successful doctors or lawyers, I'm gonna call them Nathan and Noah. If either one of them becomes the president, I will never call them Mr. President. Why? That's my son who also happens to be my president, but that's my son. (laughs) We don't, we weren't created to just have a robe on all the time. Do you mean you wanna get through your whole life with your tunic on? You never want to be seen for who you really are? The safest, moments of my life have been when I've been accepted in the ugliest moments of my life. It's an expensive price to pay. But you have never been loved into your love for who you are, where you are, Right now, I don't want to have a sword on all the time. I don't want to defend myself every single day. I'm grateful to have friends in my life that stand up for me and go, oh, I know what you heard, but I know who he is. Oh, I know what you've said about him, but I live with that guy. I do life with that guy. And whatever you think you've heard or saw, here's the real story. There's nothing like that in the world. To not have to fight your own battles, but to have people that will fight for you. To have people that will draw near to you on your toughest days. That will be present with you. That will weep with you. Celebrate with you. Nothing like it in the world. To have someone that will support you. I know that there are seasons of our life. I had to encourage myself. There was nobody there. There was nobody that believed in me. I had to do this all myself. That's. That's motivational and it's exhausting. I read in scripture that David encouraged himself. David had to encourage himself in the Lord. I I know where that is in the Bible. I only read it one time. Well, it's lonely at the top. I'm doing life and there's a whole lot of stuff going on and it just gets, it's just lonely. Not everybody understands. Well, that's because you haven't communicated it. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. You just chose to go up the mountain by yourself. You don't need people like you. You just need people by you. Hear me. Jesus had three people with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I have Bible to dispel that it's lonely at the top. Jesus had three people with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. So let me dispel that it has to be lonely when you're going through the worst season of your life. Whether they're awake or asleep, at least they were present. And ultimately, Jesus in the flesh, that's all he actually needed. I know everybody wants this. And what I also know Is that everybody doesn't want to pay that price. Here's why, because I know there's some people in this room that would say, I already did this, Tim. And I got betrayed. I did what you said. And they manipulated and it turned. And it left me broken. I understand the risk involved with being vulnerable. what I would say is if you've had an experience where there's been somebody in your life that could not reciprocate the exchange you wanted to give, or perhaps they received it in one season and dropped it in another, my greatest encouragement to you is to process that pain and then try it again because there is someone who has been waiting for someone like you. Preston has done an elaborate job this year with helping us understand what it is to be a friend of God. My prayer with this message is that you would leave praying to your friend vertically about finding that friend horizontally. I love being a friend of God, and I love Preston being a friend of mine. God said, it is not good that man should be alone, and that is not just a marital statement. That is a relational statement. We were not meant to do life alone. We were not meant to do life smothered and covered every day. So I'm praying that every single one of us in this room find our friends. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Dear Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, my sons and your sons and daughters. And I ask God that you would, in this time, heal hearts, change minds, Give us the boldness to step into relational equity in a way we've never done before. God, would you identify and highlight our Jonathans and our Davids? And would you give us the boldness to establish the relationships that last a lifetime in Jesus name.